0: All right, good morning everybody. Uh, This morning we'll be in Psalms uh, 88 and 89. Now, as I was studying or getting ready for it anyway, I was really battling doing this only because in my mind I'm like, "Ah, I want to get to Luke. You know, I've got an idea. I want to break up Luke 1 and 2 into four sections and start, you know, and, and I thought, oh, what a great opportunity I can get out of the Psalms today. And no offense, but it's a little tough teaching the Psalms sometimes and and uh, yeah, yeah, and I, and I went back and forth and back and forth, and I realized I'm not arguing with myself. I'm arguing with the Lord, and, uh, and that happens sometimes. You, it, it takes a while for you to figure it out, you know. I've been doing this for how long? To figure out God saying, no, I want you to do the Psalms today. And um, I'll get emotional because there are five ladies that are watching online that this is specifically for them. As strange as it is, and you guys will get something too, I'm sure, out of it. Um, I don't mean to exclude anybody, but this Psalm 88 has got to be one of the saddest psalms. I mean, you talk about an emo song, if you know what that is. Um, I mean, it is... You can almost see the psalmist with his hair flopped over his head, and he's got black fingernail polish. You know, there's, oh, you know, woe is me kind of thing. And I'm like, can we just not do that before Christmas and right after Thanksgiving? Can I wait till the new year or something? And it's, it's specifically for today. Then we're going to do 88 and 89. Now, 89 is very long. We will go through that quickly. So if you're a little worried as we go through 88, like, okay, there's no way we're getting through 40, you know, 50 some verses, we're just about going to read through. Um, 89, okay? Um, So we won't be spending as much time in it. But this song of Psalm 88, it starts off sad and goes to depressing. That's the progression for us this morning. And what the psalmist is, and here's the thing, it's who wrote it, I think, that matters as I researched it and looked into it. This guy is one of the wise men in David's kingdom, and then also goes all the way through to Solomon's kingdom. He was kept on through two administrations. He's a super wise guy, okay? And I put two and two together. Now, I'm not a big Freud Jung guy, and if you don't know who those guys are, you're blessed. But I know because I've studied those things. They're psychologists and all, and they had you know, ideas and opinions. But I read a quote from someone else that posted about Jung. And he says, you know, the wiser you are, the lonelier you get. The more you know, the lonelier you get. And I think that's true. I mean, you know, for the most part, the more you know about life as you get older and you sin, you know how older people tend to get quieter And just sit there and kind of watch everybody and go, oh my goodness, you know. I'd tell you, but you won't listen because nobody has for the last thirty years listened to me. So I'm just going to watch you go through it. It's because they've been through it, and it's almost there's a loneliness that takes over. It's like I've, you know, every election year, I think I've seen this movie before. Uh, Every whatever, every problem that comes someone's way, I know I think I've. This is like déjà vu because. They're wise, and they've been through it, and they, they know exactly how it's all going to play out. That's where this writer finds himself, I think. I think he finds himself in a place like Solomon. Remember, he writes Ecclesiastes, right? And he's, <laughs> he's like, it's all vanity. I've done everything. I know everything. I've been down every road, and it's like nothing. Everything under the sun is vanity. And he was the wisest guy. Well, this is one of those guys. This guy not only is an advisor to the king, he's called a seer. A lot of people always say, is that a magician? No, he's just a really smart guy. He's a wise person who has good counsel. He's called a seer in David's kingdom and then also in Solomon's kingdom. But he's also got a lot of kids that are all walking with the Lord and all serving the Lord. And this is the psalm he writes towards the end of his life. Okay. Now I put that in, I I give you all that you know, initial start, because um, I want to help, I hope, as we go through this, people walk through these moments and in in these seasons in their life. It's it's easy for you to come up and say, I don't know, I just feel so depressed. Well, you know what? You need to cheer up. Jesus loves you. And walk away, and you're like, that didn't help me map my way out of this. You know, there is a way, and there are things you need to go through things you need to feel, things you need to work out. That's why these things are going on in your life. He wants you to think these things. He doesn't want you to shove them down into a deep, dark hole in your life and, and spring forth happiness and never, never deal with this. You know, He wants us to let him touch those things. And in order to do that, you've got you to go through it. You know, But he maps out a plan for us in his word to go through it, not just a platitude to make it go away, you know, well, you shouldn't be afraid. God says, don't be afraid. Oh, now I'm not afraid. No, you got to work through it. The kind of thing. You need to let God take you through the progression to understand. It's like me telling my kids now, okay, you're, you're two or one. I forgot. It's been that long. Walk. I know you just figure it out. You know, no, you, there's things you do. You hold onto their hands. You do that. They fall. They grab the couch. They're moving along. There's a lot of steps. Taken and falls, taken before you actually begin to walk. Same thing. As he goes through this, this is someone who shouldn't be depressed, who shouldn't have anxiety, who shouldn't be in this dark place, but is. And as I think about us moving towards Christmas, a time of celebration and everybody's happy and jolly and we see colored lights and, you know, there's a lot of joy as there should be. There's a lot of people on the absolute opposite end of that spectrum as they come into this time memories, loved ones gone that don't get to share it with them, whatever it may be, it's a very difficult time for them. And so God was like, no, you've got to do 88 because it sets us up and 89. It sets us up for Luke one and two. So here we go. Verse one. Oh Lord, God of my salvation. I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you incline your ear to my cry for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are caught off from your hand. Ugh, you know? This is a song. It's not like a one-time prayer that he had by himself in his prayer closet at home. He decided to put it to music for everybody else to enjoy. You know? He starts off correct, doesn't he? Always. The whole thing is correct. Don't get me wrong. None of this is invalid. Okay? It's all right. It starts off with, Oh, Lord, God of my salvation. I know who you are. This is a man who walks with God. Okay, sometimes we think of David as alone in the kingdom and he's got a bunch of doofs surrounding him, you know, he's the only one that has a heart after God. He has lots of men that are walking their walk, lots of women that are full of faith. Okay, and they're all in the kingdom and they're all, and he's gathered a pretty good circle. Now, they have their shortcomings, you know, they have their failures like anybody else. And the Bible emphasizes those sometimes, but for the most part, they're walking with the Lord like everybody else. David's not the only one walking with God in Israel, okay? This is one of these guys. I know that you're my, sa- you're my savior, but, and maybe better yet, that's a better way to put it, I'm crying out to the only one who can help me in this. I can ask David, He's probably close enough to him that he could talk to David about these things or or his wife or whoever he could walk, talk to. But he knows, no, I need a touch from you. I need to hear this from you. And th- if you hear anything this morning before you tune out, remember this. Whatever you get from this this morning, hopefully by the Holy Spirit, it's from God. But if it is just secondhand information coming from Pastor JD, you need to experience this on your own. You need to talk to the Lord. You need to read his word and let him bypass this and go right to your heart from his word, from his heart, right to your heart. That's how healing takes place. Okay. So know that uh, about this. Okay. He can talk to a lot of people, but the only one that can save him from what he's going through right now is God. Friends are great. Job didn't have very good friends, right? He had a bunch of friends that were trying to figure it out for him. That were trying to come up with solutions. They couldn't just be there in the misery with him. They couldn't just give him company through his difficult time, which we could all take note of that. That's what we need from friends. But what we need from God is the actual healing and the actual help. I have cried out day and night before you. This isn't something that I've done once or twice. I do it all the time. And the word I have cried out is used in other scriptures. In Psalm 47, one, it's used this way. Oh, clap your hands. All you peoples shout to God with a voice of triumph. I love that song. You know, if you didn't know it was a song, it is a song. The same words used in this grief. As much as the Psalm 47 writer is shouting for joy and clapping his hands, and you can almost see it, you know, know, running around the room and praising the Lord like David and whirling and thanking God, this guy's doing it with just as much enthusiasm for his difficult trial that he's going through. It's that bad. Okay, he uses the same word. That's important. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, Jesus starts off the Beatitudes with this one. Starts them. There's a lot of great Beatitudes. He starts with this one. Then he, Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's where this guy is. He's in poor of spirit. This is what that means. What's poor of spirit means? It doesn't mean that you can't afford two TVs or two cars. It's not poor, poverty like that. It's poor in spirit, like this guy is right here. Now, they're blessed because theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know what that means exactly, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a guess, is that when you become this in this place, or like the writer of Ecclesiastes does, everything's vanity, you begin to look nowhere else but up. My hope is, is not in the bills being paid. It's not in my marriage even being restored. It's not even in my kids returning to the Lord. All those are happy times. It still doesn't take away the deep, dark feeling that I have inside. That I look for in heaven. And so theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is my hope. What keeps me through and carries me through Psalm eighty-eight, the experience that this writer is going through, is the hope of a perfect kingdom where there is no more crying, there is no more, you know, no more tears, no more disease, no more death, none of that. That's my hope. I think we're in one of the hardest times in human history right now. I, I know there are terrible times. I know we could talk about the Holocaust, we could talk about we could talk about Egypt, we could talk about all those things. How 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 do you deal with if you were in the Holocaust, if you were in Egypt, you can you can you can figure your way through those things in the trial, because it's you and you're dealing with the situation right there. What do you do when all you do is read about all day long the hardship and the anguish that the rest of the world is going through? I can't help them. I can't do anything for them. I could send them a dollar, you know. I can donate this, I can donate that, but by no means, have it's a drop in the ocean of difficulties that the world is going through, and all we get in this age of communication, and I'm, I'm not knocking it, don't get me wrong, it's just this overwhelming sense of, there's no hope out there. I can't stop world hunger, I can't stop this, that oppression, I can't stop all the human trafficking. We do our best, we attack it, and we do battle with it constantly, but I don't see it ever stopping. And that brings in that dark feeling of, this is never going to end, is it? We're going to do battle. We're going to push back for sure. But it's never going away until when? Until the kingdom of God. He's in that place. He's in that place of poor in spirit. Um, That's not a great place to live. I understand that, you know, in your life. But I'm trying to help you in it, because some of you in the room are smiling but are in that place, and some of the people online are smiling and are trying to maintain their good Christian walk as they know they should. They've got it doctrinally in their head. They understand what they're supposed to go through. And then we read this, and I hope it helps in some way to know that a wise man in two administrations under David and Solomon, who has great kids that are walking with the Lord and serving God, is in this place like you are. He knows all the right answers. He's got all the scriptures memorized just like anybody else. And he finds himself here. On the other side, if you're not in this place, yay, you know. But it will help you this Christmas help other people that are in this place, I think, to be a little more sensitive to where they are, why they are. And maybe not be so quick to put out the Hobby Lobby plaque in their life, you know, that states the truth of where they should be and almost with it guilt and shame for being where they are. You know, you don't want to do that. What the world needs right now are those that are in the place of joy and gladness and contentment, and we need to seek out those that aren't in that place and sit with them and be with them. I don't need to fix their problems. I don't need to be the Holy Spirit in their life. I will bring them joy. I will bring them comfort. I will bring them companionship. That's what Job needed. And that's what many people around us need this year. So I'm all for your joy and I'm all for your excitement, but look for those in your life that aren't there and try to be at least a blessing to them. You don't have to bring them out of it, but be a blessing with them is is the idea. Verse six, you have laid me in the lowest pit. In darkness, in the depths, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up. I cannot get out. My eyes waste away because of affliction. Boy, I can't help but think of nursing homes when I read that. And I'm not saying they're all like that, and not everybody in those nursing homes are like that, but boy, if it's not prevalent... I don't know if you've ever been to one lately. Sometimes we can go, sometimes we can't, depending on whether they let us in or out, you know, whatever um, their policies say, but that's day in and day out. And it doesn't have to be a nursing home. It can be someone at home, you know, a widow, a widower. Um, these are difficult times for them. I can't imagine going through. I'm watching my wife buzz around the house, you know, and, and I'm doing my part, I'm sitting in a chair, and... <laughs> I'm kidding. I do my part. Um, But I'm watching the enthusiasm and the love for her family and all these things going on. I'm like, man, if she goes, this house is going to be really boring and bland. It is, you know. I mean, I'll do my best. I'll throw a light here and I'll throw a light there. And maybe if the box is on top of all the other boxes, I'll open it and place a Christmas something or other up. But I'm not crawling underneath the stairs and finding all the, you know what I mean? It's just not in me. Maybe I'll change. I don't know. It'd be a different season for me. I'd appreciate all the smiles of my kids and my grandkids. I would appreciate all the love and the joy that they bring into my home, but she's not there to share it with. Or he's not there to share it with if you're on the other end of things. That's a hard place to be, you know. Bring the joy, bring it to their houses, bring it into their lives, but please understand where they are. You can't fill that hole or that void. That's just who they're going to be this Christmas. And you do the best you can to help them. This is how he feels. It's genuine. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, I appreciate the Psalm. Whereas I didn't when I first started studying it, to be honest with you. Anxiety is the fear of the future. Depression is the fear of the past. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the Bible talks about two different kinds of sorrow that can come into a person's life. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. I'm not going to try to diagnose people's sorrow and try to figure out where their sorrow is coming from. This is only to help those that are in that place of sorrow don't add to it. Iniquity or sin only adds to that sorrow. Where you want to be is as close to God as possible during your difficult times. Through no fault of your own, you're just in a bad place. You're in a dark place, a lonely place. To be lonelier, though, is to continue on with sin or add iniquity to it, and that will separate you from the only one who wants to help you, who can help you. It makes you feel distant from the healer, Jesus Christ. You aren't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he alienates you and leaves you or forsakes you. He doesn't at all, but that's how you will feel. You'll feel like I can't ask him to help me with my dark place because I'm in the middle of sin. And now you've isolated yourself from the one who can heal you through your own fault. So I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm, walking holiness. When, When Anna lost her husband, she found herself at the temple serving God all the time. It was a hard loss. She never had children as far as we know, okay? Never got to that place, maybe just married and he died immediately. Who knows what happened or how that went down, but she spent her life at the temple. She stayed in that place. That's where her um, rejuvenation came from. That's where her life came from. That's where her positive, beautiful spirit, because she walked with God in the midst of that pain and sorrow and difficulty and loss, such great loss. Don't add sin to the sorrow. Ecclesiastes 7.3 Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. I believe this speaks directly to the fact that we need to go through these emotions. You need to let them out and let them come up. Not just shove them down and screw a smile on your face before you come to church or before you go to the family event. I mean, You don't want to bring everybody down. I understand nobody wants to do that. A a humble person doesn't want to walk into a gathering and say, everybody, please notice me. They don't do that. A prideful person does, but a humble person doesn't. Um, But for sorrow to get better, for a sad countenance to get fixed, you need to go through. That's That's where the heart gets touched by God. You can't ignore it. You can't cover up that pain and that loss. I think you need to feel it. And I think Christmas is a great time for that to take place. I think we're coming into a beautiful, the whole month of December, we can start working on this, you know, looking for those people. And maybe not calling them out on it, but recognizing them, at least in our hearts. And God will bring them to your mind. He will. And he'll bring them into your path. And just being prepared and prayed up ahead of time, when this happens, whoever they may be, I pray that I would have the right words and the right heart to minister at that moment, God, and that I would take the time to do it because that's what I'm here to do. Called to that. Sorrow is from the fall of man into sin. That's where it comes from. There is no sorrow in God's kingdom, only in our current state. The knowledge of good and evil brought that to us. That sorrow. Genesis 3.16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow And your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, that's not to throw women under the bus this morning. But all of mankind, when we ate of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, it brought in such great sorrow into our lives. That's the death. That's the difficulty. In Nehemiah 8.10, then he said to them, Here's what I want you to do with your sorrow. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, this is the map that he begins to lay out. It's not a platitude. It's not something I'm throwing at you this morning saying, you know what, the joy of the Lord ought to be your strength. It doesn't look like it is today. You better, you know, put on your big boy pants. No, no, no. That's a map. This is God's word showing us. It's a light unto our path or our feet, and a, and a lamp unto our path, and it's vice versa. I think it's the other way around. And I'll read it here in a minute. I have it in the cross reference, but um, God's word. Shows you where you are, and there's nothing you can do about that. That's just where you are. But he also provides a light to the path on the way out of it or through it, okay? And God's word here tells us, I know that you're sad. Nehemiah isn't denying the fact that the entire nation of Israel is upset when they hear the word of God, and they think, oh my gosh, how what a terrible group of people we are. That's why they're sorrowful. If you don't know the story, they're reading the word of God. They're like, we're nothing like we're supposed to be. We're not worshiping God. We're not being obedient. They just realize the depravity that they're in and they begin to get sad. And he says, no, no, no. I don't want you to go there. I want you to realize how much God loves you in this. I want you to turn this into a celebration because God loves you. He loves you. And that's what brings them out. I want you to celebrate this day. I want you to eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions for those whom nothing is prepared. And it is such a blessing to bring gifts to other people, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be monetary. It could be whatever. But to bring those gifts to other people, is such a blessing for yourself, such good, it's so good for our hearts. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. I don't want you to feel that way, the guilt and the shame that goes along with realizing who you are and where you you are in, in relationship to God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. His feelings towards you pulls us out, and that's what we focus on. I can't do anything about the feeling that I feel way less than I should in God's presence. I'm nowhere near his holiness. I'm nowhere near his perfection. I don't have his love. I don't have his grace, his mercy, his joy. I don't have any of the things that he has. And as I stand around, it's hard not to compare yourself to him and say, I mean, how in the world am I ever going to get there? And that's genuine. But then to look at him and to see his smiling face at me and say, I know who you are, but I love you. This is, it's like a really great uncle that comes to the Christmas party, you know? As a kid, do you remember the good uncle? Maybe you don't have one. Maybe you have bad memories of uncles, and I don't mean to bring that up. But the good relative, whoever it may be, good grandpa, good grandma, good sister, good whoever it may be, they show up. And as a kid, you're like, finally someone's going to play with me. I don't have to go to the kitchen and work in there. I don't have to do this over here where everybody's doing this. I'm not sitting around playing cards. Everybody plays cards. Who wants to play Nerf? You know, who wants to go outside and throw the football around? And then that relative shows up, you know, (laughs) someone who's like me. Now, now the party begins. When we look at God, that's how he is to us. He comes into our holidays. He comes into our life and he brings that joy. He looks us in the eye, whereas the other people look over our heads as kids, you know. I don't know if you ever remember that. Some of you kids are like, it happened in a Thursday, you know. But you get that one that says, yeah, I see you, and I like you, and I'm not yelling at you to do this, that, and the other thing. I just want to throw the football around with you. I want to hang out. I have fellowship with you. You know, those are the Christian words we use. I want to be your friend. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's your map out of this. In Esther, chapter 9, verses 20 through 22, this is after the whole story goes down. And if you don't know the story of Esther, we don't have time to go over it all, but here's what happens at the end of the story. They decide to make a holiday of it, and here's what they say. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies as the month which was was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday. I don't know when it will happen, But throughout scriptures, we see people going through these dark times, and there is a day when it all flips, when it switches. For the Jews, they spent most of Esther worrying about their destruction until finally the solution came by the hand of God through Esther to the king, and a decree was written, and all of a sudden now it all flipped over to, we don't have to be sorrowful anymore. We can be joyful in this. There is a day when that flips, and there will be for you too. It isn't always this way. It isn't always dark. It isn't always depressing. There's a day, the nation of Israel, when they were in Egypt, I don't know how long, I'd love to study that sometime, the 400 years that they were in Egypt. How long did it take for them to become slaves? Because they came in as amazing people, led by Joseph and Jacob and and the boys. 70 people come into Egypt. Somewhere in that 400 years, it switched from being uh, revered and honored to absolute, horrible, horrific slavery. Did it happen right away? Was it incremental? Did it happen towards the end? We don't know. We do know for a time they cried out and they cried out and they cried out. How long did they cry out to God in their despair before Moses was raised up to deliver them? I know this, it took 80 years from the time he was born before he actually steps in to lead them out. That's 80 years of crying out to God. That's 80 years of, of begging God for help out of this horrible situation. I don't know when it'll come. I cannot give you that kind of hope. that just last another week and it'll all be better. I don't know how long it'll take. But I do know from God's word, there is a day when it flips, when it switches. It may be a very long tunnel before you see the light. I don't know. But there is light, and the tunnel does come to an end, and these things always come to pass, always, and it switches. In Isaiah 14, verses 2 through 4, Then people will take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord. They will take them captive, whose captivity they were, and rule over their oppressors. It shall come to pass in the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage which you were made to serve. And that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. It will come to an end. It'll become a day when you're no longer oppressed. It'll become a day when you're no longer in that dark place of sorrow or fear. God will flip it. Back in verse nine. Lord, I have called daily upon you I have stretched out my hand to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark? And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Why don't you help me while I'm alive? Is what he's saying. Help me while I have my faculties about me. I need help now, not later. I want it now. I think about two people, Hannah and Nehemiah. And Nehemiah. Um, Hannah, we know, wanted a baby and couldn't have one. and was in terrible competition with the other wives in the family. Some people think mixed marriages or blended marriages is, or families is new. It's not. It's from the beginning. There's always been those things. So it's not an isolated incident that you find yourself in competition with the other woman or the other man or the other whoever. She finds herself in that place and cannot produce children. In First Samuel chapter 1, verse 15, she's at Jerusalem. They've come for the feast, one of them. And she is in the temple, and she is praising the Lord and worshiping God, but also pouring out her heart before God. Now, the priest hasn't seen anything like that in a long time. Most people that show up at church are usually there to mock or make fun and aren't walking with God, but she has a different heart. And he says, would you just put away your wine? Would you stop being drunk and just get your life together? Was the pastor's advice for this woman? Talk about misunderstanding, not walking in the spirit, frustrated, frustrated, Right? But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. You're not alone. Hannah, godly, beautiful woman, pouring out her heart in sorrow. You're not supposed to be sorrowful. You're supposed to be joyful, Hannah. Put away your drink. It's not what the Bible teaches. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. Nehemiah was a godly guy. Loved Nehemiah. Probably my favorite character in scriptures. Tough, but a leader. Had a love for God, a broken spirit, a broken heart, but knew that he needed to do something about it, not just sit back. I like that. Nehemiah walks into the king's court as a cupbearer. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Nehemiah was sick to his stomach about what was happening back in his land. So what do we tell someone like that today? Oh, don't worry. God's got it. God's in control, Nehemiah. I hear that so much nowadays. We have to be very careful about throwing that around. Well, who cares? God's got it in control. Of course he does. We all know that. Why is Nehemiah, who knows the Lord and has a heart for his people, worried then? Because something has to be done. Because he feels the pain. He feels that we're not where we need to be as a nation. He feels all those things. He can't flippantly go around, though. Tell me how things are going back in Israel. Oh, bummer. That's all right, dude. God's in control. That's ridiculous. We have to be very careful about that. Nehemiah had sorrow of heart and the king noticed it. And he's like, I didn't realize I was wearing my heart on my sleeve. I didn't know you could see that. You're not alone. Hannah and Nehemiah are great examples for us. Verse 13. But to you, I have cried out, O Lord. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you, Lord. Why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I'm distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They, they came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. It's, you know, you said, "I'm drowning in this, God." I don't see any hope. I don't see any light. I'm absolutely drowning in this. Verse 18, loved one and friend. You have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. And that's the end of the psalm. There's no pick-me-up at the end like normal. There's no God worked it out in the middle of the psalm to where I come out happy. The writer here says, no, I'm going to leave it right here. Because a lot of people feel this for a very long time. And it doesn't come to the end at the end of the song." I want you to be encouraged this morning in that. I don't know how to encourage you in that except to let let God's word sit there with you and to know that you're not alone, that you have many godly men and women that are in your shoes and have been there before. It's not unusual. It's not wrong. Now, God does want to help you out of that, but I don't know how long that'll take. I can't give you those promises. Some people get over it right away. Some people God brings out immediately. In fact, for the most part, the stories in the scripture really are pretty concise considering the amount of time it took. The promise of Isaac for Abraham and Sarah was 20 years long. Here, you're going to have a baby. Great. 20 years from now to the point where they gave up and got Hagar and all that. I don't know how long your stretch is going to be. All I can do is give you the hope there's light, that God will have a day when it changes, these things come to pass, and that you're not alone going through it. Now, I know you're like, how are you going to do this longer psalm in seven minutes? We'll get through it. And this is a, by the way, this is a perfect setup for Christmas, these two psalms. Because Psalm 89, the psalmist writes about a problem that he doesn't see the promises of David towards David coming to pass. We're in captivity. You promised David a whole bunch of things. Here, if you don't know the, the Bible, prophets, men who and who had an ear in women sometimes had an ear to the Lord, and God would speak to them, and then they would go tell the other mortals, the other people, what God said. So those are the prophets in the Bible. Well, when it comes to David, this king, the second king of Israel. There were a lot of promises through these prophets from God to the people saying, David's going to do this, and this is going to happen to David, and all these things are going to happen to David. And the writer here says, I don't see how that can happen. He's gone. We're in captivity. How can these promises come to pass? So he starts off properly. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. So he starts off with, here's what I know about God. And now I'm going to write about what I don't understand about God. I think that's a a good thing to take home this morning. I rest upon the things I do know about, the things I don't know about. I have questions. Nothing wrong with that. But I don't doubt what I know about God. Okay, so he starts off with that. I know who you are. Your mercies are forever. I know these things are great. Verse 3, I have made a covenant with my chosen. This is what you've said, God. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed will be established forever and build up your throne to all generations. Pause. Selah. So I know about this, about you, and about all these things, and what you said about David, but it ain't happening, is what he's getting at. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints, for who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? All he's saying is, I I know nobody can question you. I know that you're not wrong. I'm only stating from my perspective, I don't think your promises can be fulfilled. Okay, I don't see how it can happen. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, to be held in reverence by all those around him. The Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. Uh, When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab, that's another term for Egypt, in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is yours. The world and all its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabar and Hermon, rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong as your hand and high as your right hand. I mean, he's going a little overboard, but that's okay. I mean, you're gonna, if you're going to question God, you, you, you definitely want to weight the scale in the, other, in the other way. Hey, God, I got this question for you, but I know about all the, you're really great. Just got a little question for you over here. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. And in your favor our horn is exalted. Our leadership, our authority is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said... I have given help to one who is mighty. So what he's going to do here is he's quoting what the prophets said about David. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. With whom my hand hand shall be established. Also, my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face, the plague, and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and my name, his horn, shall be exalted. Also, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. Well, now we're getting a little big, aren't we? You see where we're headed with this, right? Over the rivers? Okay. He shall cry to me, you are my father. We all do that. I mean, honestly, God God is our father. We say that a lot. But don't you get the sense he's talking about somebody else that maybe means father in a different way than we do? Like he's talking about Jesus is the idea, if you haven't caught on. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth, king of kings. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as of the days of heaven. Well, you can see why if you only ascribe that to David, how's that going to work? Because he's, he's talking about somebody else. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgment, If they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Which is exactly what happened to Christ at the cross. Verse 33. Nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant, I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon and like the faithful witness in the sky. Now here's where his question comes up, verse 38. But you have cast off and abhorred. Those are all the promises we heard about King David, but that's not where we are. You've been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges, and you have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword." And have not sustained him in the battle. You have made his glory cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. Of course, the writer is only thinking of the physical David and not David's offspring. The root and the offspring of Jesse being Jesus. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What man uh, can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Nope. You can't deliver yourself. Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemy or enemies have reproached the Lord, or O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> That's how he ends. I just had that question for you. Out, you know. I'll just wait for your response. Well, We're moving into a beautiful season, aren't we? You can see how this sets us up perfectly for Advent. The first appearing of the one who keeps all those promises. The one in which God gave all those promises to is through Jesus. He's going to become King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's going to be born in this world. He's going to be the son of man and the son of God. He will call him father. All these promises come to pass in our savior, Jesus Christ. The prophecies that were spoken of by Dave, or to David were also for David and his offspring, which is Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's where we leave off this morning. Um, God's word is a map. I told you that it's Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God wants to bring us out. wants to walk us through. And I hope you can walk through this Christmas with different eyes. You can still be in your sorrow and go through your difficult times and all those things that are going to come upon us. And maybe you're going through right now, but please let God's word guide you through and take you through these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for these two psalms. It actually concludes the third book, and we begin the fourth book um, in a couple weeks here, four weeks. Help us to hold these things in our heart, to chew on these things, to meditate on these things, um, to get as much out of them as we possibly can, as much spiritual nutrition as we can. We want to take it all in. We don't want to throw any of it out. We pray you to help us to walk through this Christmas season being a blessing, being blessed, receiving, giving all the things that are associated with this time of year and that your joy would carry us through, Lord. I pray that you bless these people. Bless their preparations, the hard work ahead of them for making this a special time for their families. Um, Help them through the difficult times that they're going through as a loss of loved one maybe this year or the last few years. It's going to make this season a little harder than it used to be. I pray that you help them through it. It'll be different. Help them to enjoy the difference though as well. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a a good week.